Our world is a system. The whole universe is. And systems might be simple or might be complicated. The idea behind deciphering the whole system has been and still is one of the most prominent mental occupations of our species. The yearn for knowing why things happen, everything. Every little mechanism has been the subject to our scrutiny. We have had the most insatiable thirst for unraveling complex mechanisms in our surrounding. The term science itself, etymologically speaking, stems from the root sire and then scientia, meaning to know or to figure out. We are addicts to figuring things out. Knowing is a matter of imperceptibility, extensiveness, comprehensiveness and proportionality. So we have decided to classify and cluster whatever we find, in order to be able to move on and gain more and more. This, despite the fact that it helps us to stand on the shoulders of our predecessors, brings with it many challenges and constantly gives birth to some undeniable and sometimes irreversible fallacies. Who knows how many mistakes and misconceptions scientists before us have encountered? Who can epistemologically observe and analyze misconstrues brought by philosophers before they arrive at the right place? One fallacy if we can call it a fallacy, is the notion that we have to know all the secrets or maybe we know every secret behind whatever we have observed so far. In this episode, I'm discussing some metacognitive aspects of understanding simplicity and complexity. My guest in this episode is Ali Negatar, joining me from England. Ali studies theoretical physics and I find him one of the savviest physicists I've seen. This episode was meant to cover many aspects, including mathematical beauty, Richard Feynman's way of simplifying complex ideas in physics, edge of chaos, systems thinking, emergence and nonlinear causality, holism versus reductionism, VULCA and its applications in complex systems, beautiful complexity in string theory, Euler's identity, and many more. It's a shame that covering them all requires more than one episode. So, you might not hear about at least some of them in this podcast. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So, without further ado, I bring you Ali Negator. Ali, welcome to this episode. It's good to be with you. Oh, it's good to be with you too, sir. Talking about complexity and simplicity, I, I know that we have discussed it before, in some senses, but uh, I think that we need to have some key definitions of what complexity and simplicity is. And how do you define complexity and simplicity? We mostly like uh, uh, define um, complexity and simplicity in a system or in nature, like uh, the phenomena that happen normally in nature are a mix of both. Like sometimes you see, for example, in quantum mechanics or uh, subatomical particles, you see the behavior is really simple. And sometimes the behavior is really systematic and really complex. It's really hard to like um, analyze everything in the system. This is actually what happens in theories like quantum mechanics. But um, normally in mathematical uh, um, physics, we define simplicity uh, as mostly being pure. So not having any extra additional steps to define a theorem. 
For example, in um, bosons or um, normally in standard model that we define like sub, uh, sub atom core particles, uh, we actually in particle physics, we have really complex theories that many people are not happy about it. And at the same time, many people are happy about it because um, the experimental results are really clear that um, all of the uh, scientific theorems about particle physics are mostly like true mm -hmm. by experiment, especially the experiment that uh, take place in CERN. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, in in that case, the mathematical theorem is much more complex, and it's not well defined in a system. Like system has a, a lot of layers. But in theories like general relativity, special relativity, in general relativity, and and quantum mechanics, we have like really clear and pure definitions of what is happening in nature when we are using these theorems. And it's not fairly clear all, all the time, but at least the mathematics are really connected together. Like there is a really small gap between the mathematical parts in quantum mechanics and relativity. And for example, simplicity in um, like um, relativity is uh, one of the things that many people actually know about it. Most of the population of the planet knows knows about E equals MC squared. And such like one of the most fundamental theorems that we have, uh, one of the most important fundamental in every sense uh, that we actually found and discovered in this universe by Albert Einstein, of course, uh, is a really, really, really one-line equation that is really simple. Energy equals to mass mm -hmm. times uh, the speed of light squared. Mm -hmm. So this simplicity doesn't mean that the theory is simple. Like it doesn't mean that special relativity or general relativity are simple at all. Like they are really complex theorems. But the linearity between them, like, uh, actually, general relativity is a non-linear. Uh, uh, it's a non-linear theorem, but uh, the linearity that you have in these theorems mm -hmm. are so well defined that just with the equation e equals m c squared, you can define what happened at the first glance that Big Bang happened, or after that, what happened after that, and what's happening right now, and what's happening to photons and uh, energy of the particles. Mm -hmm. But in uh, other like uh, physical theorems, we have this that are more complex. Like we can't like define a whole system just with one equation. What is happening here with just one equation? Uh, that is actually many uh, like mathematicians and physicists, especially uh, in uh, like Europe, actually because Europe is really well defined in particle physics. Uh, and most of the right re the research the research uh, in the universe actually takes back in, in Europe and Switzerland, especially in said if we do the experimental uh, like walk. Um, but this is the thing about the mathematical sense of physics. We normally say, okay, a theorem shouldn't be especially beautiful or really simple, but it needs to show the experimental result. It's, it needs to be the objective truth. We need to be sure that it is true. Mm -hmm. um, and in sense of um, 
uh, simplicity in general in mathematics, like pure mathematics, as we know it, well, the first theorems that we know, like uh, the most, one of the most uh, important theorems in mathematics was the Pythagoras theorem. The Pythagoras theorem is fairly simple. Like it's really well defined and it's really pure. Like you can see it everywhere in mathematics. You can use it like in most of the cases in uh, most of the sub subjects of mathematics. And this is the thing that we, the, the connectivity that the theorem has is just so amazing that makes it like uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, for example. And this is the thing actually um, like uh, what, me, what we mean about mathematical beauty, especially in case of, of guys like Paul Dirac, uh, Richard Feynman, uh, or more philosophical guys that are more into the definition of beauty, for example, Bernard Russell, they um, define this thing as that uh, it's not only about like being the truth, because in most cases we define that truth is beautiful. Like even knowing the truth can be really pleases uh, can really please a person, mm -hmm. and at the same time be really beautiful. But this is the thing about mathematics: the system is just so rightly placed in every subject and every area and everywhere in the universe that makes this like whole system really beautiful. And there's the thing, when we, uh, we talk about mathematical beauty, we don't talk actually about the um, a sense of scientific sense in mathematics. We mostly are talking about it in a philosophical way. This just raises a question that um, do we really need complexity or simplicity to 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 be aligning with the experimental data and the outcome of that in order to just call it a theorem or um, as you know uh, there, there are a couple of you know just uh, questions over here that I can outline like first of which is the fact that we have some publishing crises throughout the uh, scientific society like um we have some um, i don't know a lot of a lot of i mean papers being published every year but uh, based on the fact that they do not have some uh, social support in terms of i don't know finance in terms of i don't know focus of of the um zeitgeist of of, of the whole a universe in the era that we are living in. So, uh, regardless of simplicity and complexity that that uh, theorems just just follow, I uh, I can arrive at this conclusion that um, in order to market, if we can call it, you know, quote market for your uh, theory or theorem, you need to um, just make everything simple. That comes to me like that. Am I right in this? Um, well, there uh, is a thing that uh, is actually a really hot debate right now about that matter. Um, in general, in a mostly scientific sense, uh, if you are going to pursue, because when you're doing like, um, as, um, like you're discovering something in science or discovering something about universe in general, mm -hmm. um, should be fairly logical. And when we talk about mathematical beauty, it's not about it being logical. Like it's not about being it's scientific. You can't 
prove mathematical BUD like in a scientific way. It's just a human emotion. It's just the emotion mm -hmm. that most mathematicians and physicists will feel through like uh, uh, mathematics and physics. But when it comes to what, what actually truth is, if they give you a really, really bad theorem, like a really, really bad theorem, so the theory looks in most of the sense like dull and you don't like it at all as a physicist or mathematician, this was actually what happened with Higgs boson. Most physicists didn't like it. Like they said, this is just not beautiful. This just doesn't make sense at all. Like the theory is uh, really dull. It doesn't have any soul, but the theory is correct at the same time. What is it? Can you, can, can you explain about a little bit? Um, well, in particle physics, we um, try to understand like every sense of the fields of every like particle. So it's uh, it's mostly about quantum mechanics, but it's like just a it's a model, simply a model that explains what every particle does. For example, protons and neutrons and electrons have like even subatomical uh, smaller things that we call them quarks, mm -hmm. and we have like carriers of forces and things like that in a standard model, like bosons that carry forces into the field of the universe. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's mostly about that, but when it comes, uh, this is the definition, when it comes to the mathematical sense of that, the mathematical sense of it is, it's, it's not dull, that dull, but it's not as beautiful like in special theory of relativity or classical mechanics of Newton. It's not in that level. And this annoys like, uh, this annoyed many physicists. But this is the thing about every subject. It's not about any, only physics. It contains every scientific subject. It's not about how do you feel about the theorem. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. about that the theorem will pass the test of scientific proof method or not. So if the theorem in mathematical sense makes sense and gives you a right approximation, and it, at the same time, you get the same approximation or really close to that number that the theorem, the mathematical theorem gives you, you get the experimental re the result really close to that, it's proven. Can't do anything about it. And this is the thing that I agree like with uh, physicists that believe that mathematical theorem in a sense is actually killing physics, like uh, mathematical beauty in, in a sense is actually killing physics because it's not about how do you feel about it or is it dull or is it beautiful? It's about it being true. We are just seeking truths. And this was actually explained by, um, I think, Max Planck. Uh, I know um, uh, it was Niels Bohr that it doesn't matter how do you feel about the theory. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, Niels Bohr has a really interesting conversation with uh, Albert Einstein. Well, Albert Einstein uh, was one of the founding fathers of quantum mechanics. So he describes something as the photoelectric uh, effect that shows that light is a particle mm -hmm. and doesn't have a momentum. It acts like a particle and we call it photon. And when it comes to the quantum mechanical theorems that after that, like, um, made sense by Schrodinger and people like Heisenberg, even uh, Schrodinger, that is one of the founding fathers of quantum mechanics, didn't like quantum mechanics at all because he believed it doesn't make sense at all. It's not, it's, it's not reality. It's just something is here and at the same time it's here and it's not. It just doesn't make sense in a philosophical sense. Mm -hmm. And 
But uh, Neil Bo has a really interesting conversation when uh, Einstein actually said that because most of the quantum mechanics is based on probability, so you don't have an accurate result. Like it's mostly about probability. Actually, it's a rule that when you know, for example, uh, the position of an electron, mm -hmm. the more you know about the position, the less you know about the momentum. So you can't be accurate about where the, uh, um, the electron is going to be, what's the speed or what is the nature of electron in any sense. And uh, many actually founders of quantum mechanics didn't like the idea. And Einstein said that God doesn't play dice. And this is just not sense. And Niels Bohr made a joke about it and said, please, Einstein, don't tell God what to do. <laughs> that is one of the, like, the funniest yeah. conversations in physics. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is the thing. When it comes to something being true, it's not about human emotions. Like the emotions of uh, humans shouldn't cloud their judgment. I believe in this sense. And, and uh, you know, just there is this divergence over here uh, caused by, uh, I think that we're narrowing down whatever we have over here to discuss, and uh, it brings us to causality. Uh, well, um, generally speaking, we have two kinds of causality, linear causality and nonlinear causality. And uh, based on linear causality, we one of the ground rules is that there is cause and effect. and <clears throat> and for this to be uh, true, you need to have uh, three main ideas. You need to believe in three main ideas. First of which is the correspondence. It means the dependent and and independent vari variables. You know, just have to be analyzed in the same analysis unit. And like like uh, whatever uh, you're you're talking about, I don't know behavior. This actually this is one of the most uh, important parts of uh, um, causality, linear causality. Um, actually, in, in terms of psychology, people like uh, John B. Watson, they made this this mistake. Um, they thought that, uh, I'm, I'm quoting John B. Watson, he says, uh, quote, give me a dozen healthy infants, well-formed and my specific world uh, to bring them up and I'll guarantee to take any of the any of them at a random uh, pace and, and at a random fashion and train him to become, I don't know, type of specialist. I might select a doctor, <clears throat> sorry, lawyer, artist, and, um, I don't know, the merchant chief. And yes, even a beggar man and, and, and thief. So regardless of his talent, I don't know, penchants, tendencies, abilities, vocations and race and whatnot. So. This, this, uh, has been proven to be a very big mistake, you know, just made by John B. Watson and other behaviorists in, in psychology because they were seeking the reason behind, um, the behavior only like, like they were seeing behavior as an effect and there was some cause and cause was a nurture per se. So, uh, this, uh, correspondence is, is definitely uh, one of the, one of the first, you know, just cornerstones of, of linear causality. The second, um, the second most important uh, ingredient is that uh, time precedence. It means cause has to be before effect. Cause has to occur just just prior to effect in order to see the whole system is working. And the third of, third of which is going to be uh, non um, spuriousness. It means. 
uh, it's, it's so famous. I, I, I think that everybody has heard it before that correlation does not, uh, imply, um, the causation. So when there have been two things, A and B are correlated, it doesn't mean that A causes B. This is a spuriousness. So you need to, uh, be correspondent. You need to, uh, I don't know, believe in time correspondent, uh, time, time precedence. And also you need to just believe in non-spuriousness. But this represents, these are the emblematics of, um, simple systems based on linear causality. On the other hand, we have nonlinear causality, which is, uh, totally the relationship between, uh, cause and effect is quite, quite complicated and it's not just linear. And the most important thing over here in nonlinear causality is the emerging phenomena. I mean, um, the effect is not going to be our object. Uh, you were explaining the, um, uh, pure mathematics and the beauty in it and, and mathematics being able to, uh, explain the causality over here. Uh, but nonlinear causality just does not even talk about effect. You have not, uh, you don't need to, you need not anticipate the effect as, as the emergence. You need to anticipate the emergence. It means what the whole system does. And, uh, the most important thing is that cause and effect can follow in any direction. I mean, past, future, present cause can be in the future regarding to the effect. You know, just so the complexity over here is pretty much important. If, if we can, um, boil it, it boils down to, to a couple of, uh, most important, you know, it's, it's complexity is an umbrella term and it's a rubber suitcase term. It can, it can have a lot of, I don't know, explanations, but generally speaking in today's world, um, it's, it's a common belief that, uh, uh, there's there's a complex system has to be self-organized it means there is no centralized organization there's no leader there's no um, like like you can consider effect in some sense there's there's an adapt, adapt adaptation it means the capacity of a system to respond to changes and also their networks interwoven constituents working together and non-linearity and and you know, just the most important notion that you can elicit from nonlinearity is the dispor disproportionality of input to output. Think about butterfly effect per se. Well, that, that, that famous butterfly effect can, can, can show us that it doesn't matter how much of an input you put into a system, but the output is totally disproportionate. And also we, we should believe in systems when we're talking about complexity, like, like it should be diverse interconnected parts working together for no reason except for emer emergence and also the uncertainty now you you were you were exemplifying albert einstein and 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 this is called that god is not playing dice but in, in in complex systems we we believe in playing dice you know just um this is this is <clears throat> yeah yeah. So which, 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 now, uh, my, my question is that there's a, there, there's a divergence over here between, um, what, what version of, of reality should we, uh, consider when we're talking about these systems? Because there's, there's this reality that is caused by complexity and there's another reality that is caused by, uh, simplicity and cause and effect, you know, linear causality. What, what version of, uh, does this reality should we just consider? 
Um, well, this is the thing about uh, about cars, like in quantum mechanics. And uh, there is this really weird idea and phenomena that is actually true mm-hmm. that cause and effect in quantum mechanics don't have the same shape in a normal universe. Like in, in your daily life, you see that you move something and it moves. There is an effect here. In quantum mechanics, that doesn't happen. Effects at the same time that A can A be the cause and B be the effect. At the same time, B, B can be the cause and A be the effect. Like mm-hmm. both, uh, the place of them can be switched. And there is a thing that we call the effect can come before cause. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there is no need for that. In case of complexity and simplicity in mathematical theorems, I believe that it should be a combination of both. Like when you are trying to simplify a theory, you should try to simplify it as much as possible because in most of the cases, it's possible to simplify something. For example, look at like 16th century, like Isaac Newton's like a Principia of Mathematical and things like that. It was really complex then. It was really, really complex then. Now every like, <laughs> I don't know, sixth grader <laughs> and yeah. uh, develop world can actually understand the laws of laws that Isaac Newton tried to find out like hours and hours and mm-hmm. we call him a genius and this genius like a sixth grader knows the laws of a genius that in that era like three or four people knew about in the whole United Kingdom that could there were like three or four people that could actually understand what Isaac Newton is describing here. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I believe I sh- we should, in general, have a biased like, opinion on this matter because simplicity in most cases can help us and complexity in system can help us too. Um, don't, you th- don't you think that sometimes we overkill it? Like uh, having a bias towards simplicity just, just encourages us to uh, uh, believe in some axioms. Actually, speaking of... Um, um, the the axioms of causality, and like like the, as as a Plato said, that there's this this is the central idea of causality, which is famously we we call it axiom of causality. That Plato says there is a reason for everything, but uh, people like David Hume just you know just put it this way that um, most of the things in this universe happen without any specific reason. And there is no reason for, uh, for the most part, there's no reason for, I don't know, just phenomenon to phenomenon to, to occur. Yeah, there, there is no reason indeed. Like, uh, some of the things, most of the things, as we know it, we can make sense of it, Mm -hmm. but when, and in like, in a clear understanding, when we are like at the surface of the matter. We can understand, okay, this happens because of this and this happens because of this. We can analyze it. But for example, why Big Bang happened? Yeah. No, one, no yeah, we, we can have theories why what mm-hmm. happened. But what actually happened? What what if you want to like philosophize it and say, yeah, there was a reason for Big Bang. No, there isn't any reason for anything. Why gravity exists? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's the shape of our universe. It's a dimension, like it's a surface, it's a force that helps us a lot. 
but it doesn't mean that the force has like a specific reason. We can say that, yeah, gravity exists and how it exists and what is the nature of it. But we can, we cannot say that, yeah, gravity exists for this specific reason for humans to live on earth or something like that. It's the same thing. Nothing has actually a reason when you look at it from like a really high point of view. Not from like, if you look at Earth, humans exist. Yeah, we have a reason. Everyone has a reason. They live, like they have a good life. But when you take it from a distant universe, blow up Earth right now. Nothing will happen. Firstly, nothing will happen. In some sense, yeah, a part of the universe is destroyed, but no one cares. There is no reason for that, that Earth actually exists. So this is the thing that we call in quantum mechanics. Like it's, it's a coincidence in most of the cases. Mm-hmm. Like this is one of the most asked questions in mathematics. Yeah, a question that uh, actually, I don't remember that I found any logical answer that why mathematics works. Mm-hmm. A really simple idea, a really general idea that we have told about it over years by brilliant mathematicians, but there is no reason for mathematics, why it exists, why it's books. We don't know. And actually, Bernard Russell quoted this and said that, let's just agree that mathematics is just a happy coincidence. <laughs> it just yeah. exists. There is no fairly well-defined reason for mathematics to exist, actually. All right. So let's just transition to a part that um, we have to define, redefine at least uh, two constituents over here of our of our discussion. Uh, first of which is the reductionism. Well, and reductionism by definition is the practice of analyzing and describing a complex system, a complex phenomenon. Uh, in terms of its simpler or fundamental constituents, especially when it is said to provide a sufficient explanation. So based on what we have the tendency to uh, analyze in reductionism, we break down the system into smaller parts, then uh, we analyze it and we study the whole behavior and structure of, of that, that uh, miniature uh, part of, of, the, of the system. So um, then the second phase comes the anticipation. Now, by the, you know, just in a low man's term, it is anticipating the outcome of a system by merely studying the smaller part. Whereas in uh, holism, it is the theory that parts of a whole are an intimate interconnection, such as they cannot uh, and, and also they cannot exist independently uh, of the whole or cannot be understood without reference to the whole, uh, which thus regarded as greater than the sum of its parts. So the whole of everything is greater than its parts. In psychology, we have the Gestalt uh, theory that, that, that we say the Gestalt of, of everything is bigger than the whole of it. But, uh, generalized universal ubiquitous definition of holism is that the whole of a system is much greater than its its um, independent individual parts now 
we have reductionism in different different aspects of science. Normally, we separate part of a system, we isolate it from the system, we bring it to the lab, we study that, and 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 by studying its mechanics, its structure, and its behavior, we can um, uh, we can we can anticipate the uniformity that it that it produces throughout the whole system. How do you define these? You know, how do you see these 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 two um, opposing ideas in in quantum mechanics and, and physics and mathematics? Well, um, this is a really interesting question because we normally don't you know talk about this kind of philosophies in physics. We just do it, <laughs> and we expect you know <laughs> everyone to put up with us rather than we put up with them. So yeah, we accept everyone to do it our way. <laughs> we don't care what you call that way. It's the physicist way. <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to like uh, reductionism. In quantum mechanics, uh, in general, in physics, as we know it, we can't do any reductions in case of objects. There is no further reduction. Objects are this. There are no smaller parts than them. This is what actually we mean by quantum. By quantum, we mean that we found the smallest packets of energy. And we call them photons. This is the smallest that you can get. You can't reduce this thing. It's just this thing is the smallest part that you have. When it comes to quantum mechanics, uh, there is no reductionism in case of uh, particles, in case of physical objects and physical theories, except for a part that is, of course, general theory of relativity. So when you want to have a general idea about physics, you need to know that there are two main theories. One of them is general theory of relativity by Albert Einstein, and one is quantum mechanics. And we have forces in nature. We have forces, and mostly when we want to describe nature, we describe nature based on these forces. We have been doing this for hundreds of years. When it comes to general theory of relativity, you actually try to describe gravity. And when it comes to quantum mechanics, you try to uh, define other forces that we define with quantum mechanics. The problem here is that you can't reduce general relativity to anything. Well, in quantum mechanics, everything is already reduced. So there is nothing uh, called the reduction of objects in physics anymore, as we know it in this modern era. There is, although, the reduction of subjects. For example, um, reducing chemistry to quantum mechanics. So, chemistry was a general idea, yeah? And we found the connection between particles and material, and we said, oh, okay, cool you can actually reduce this to quantum mechanics. So you can reduce the subjects to quantum mechanics, but there is nothing to be reduced here in quantum mechanics. It's just a whole idea. For example, when you have thermodynamics, there's a general idea in physics, you can reduce it to statistical mechanics, but there is no smaller part as we know it that is smaller than uh, 
you know, statistical mechanics. Uh, the same in biology, I, I guess I'm not really um, uh, well analyzed in that case, but biology is actually reduced to biochemistry. Mm-hmm. So de- reduce that case. I'm not sure about the biology, but in quantum mechanics, you can't actually reduce it to anything else. So the whole idea of reductionism actually doesn't make any sense in quantum mechanics because you reduced it anyway. There is nothing to be reduced here. The whole theory is based that we found the smallest part. We don't have any smaller part than this. And this is when we... Um, so Stephen Hawking, many people have already heard about this idea that the theory of everything, uh, there is a movie about it, I'm yeah. sure that a lot of people watched it. Stephen Hawking was literally talking about theory of everything in every sense. Like this was his walk, uh, the life of his walk. Like he always tried to go for theory of everything because it's really important. When we talk about re- uh, theory of everything, it means that we reduced gravity in physics. We define it as this, that mm-hmm. gravity is reduced to the smallest part that you can't get right now. But if gravity is reduced to a specific uh, part that you can't get any smaller than that, it's quantified. When yeah. is um actually so it will be in quantum mechanics this is the whole idea about string theory that's really uh, trending right now uh, string theory actually tries to find the quantum theory of gravity so we are trying to combine all of these stuff and make a defined theory of everything so everything that you can see can be defined with this theory of everything biology chemistry everything you can define it with this theory. And this is the reason that is really important. And at the same time, it's really hard because you are literally trying to describe the whole nature and everything in it as a whole system in just one theory. This is the case that is about quantum mechanics. So there is this, this kind of paradox that, that we can deem this one as a paradoxical situation. Actually, this is kind of an oxymoron to think about, you know, just holistic, I don't know, reductionism, if we can name it right now, right here. Um, the, but, but the problem is that, uh, when we're talking about reductionism, we are, uh, we have the tendency to break down, uh, the system into smaller parts and anticipate the whole, which you aren't, what you're employing is, uh, that, that it can be, uh, it can be seen. In, in, in quantum mechanics, because there is um, there is a tendency to break down the system into smaller particles and, and study the behavior of particles, and thus we can anticipate the whole system behavior. But meanwhile, there is there's another uh, uh, another uh, I don't know limit or barrier over here. Is there is there a limit for us to uh, reduce the system into? That is the thing that is, uh, I talked about quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics is already reduced. There are re- limits to how far things can be reduced in quantum mechanics. So this actually like serves an uh, argument in favor of reductionism. Look, this uh, what I'm trying to just imply over here is that um, we've made 
I don't want to call them mistakes, but we made some complicated moves in, in analyzing uh, the whole evolution per se, for example. Um, the brain evolution, there are, there are several theories, actually four scenarios. There is a cooling scenario, which, which explains that uh, the brain, you know, just our brain comparing to those, those of uh, Homo sapiens or um, other, other primates like uh, Australopithecus or, or, or I don't know, uh, Homo habilis or Homo erectus. Uh, the thing that happened to us that was that uh, we needed some cooling system, and uh, by by the uh, we we just actually I'm 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 supposed to cover it in another episode of this podcast, but I'm just opening it over here that that we have some EQ the uh, encephalization quotient uh, that 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 expresses the size of the brain uh, brain ratio to body brain to body ratio. Uh, which explains that the bigger your brain is and the more complicated you can think and the more complicated your behavior can be. Uh, we have a lot of uh, people advocating this, but I'm not going to into details. But then we have the theory of neurons and that, that, that the neuron density is, is, um, the, the, the key feature of, of, uh, complicated thinking styles. But, um, there's this, fallacy let's call it fallacy if, if 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 we can deem it as a fallacy that we have four scenarios cooling uh scenario and 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 the climate scenario as well as well as cooling scenario. we have the climate scenario and in climate scenario we have climate changes drastic climate changes um led to changes in brain shape and neuron density and and how how complicated we think um but still uh there's this bias that that each and every time that we have some some climate change we're going to witness a big leap in in evolution almost everything every organism will, will go through some uh, evolutionary phases but um, the problem with this this idea is that after a while we started to act like resistant uh, creatures, resistant organisms towards climate changes. So no climate changes is affecting us anymore. We can, uh, build cities. We can warm ourselves when, when, when the weather is so cold, when, when we are experiencing cold climates. We can, I don't know, use ACs when, when the weather is so hot. So, uh, in terms of uh, physiologically speaking and, and anatomically speaking, there are a few changes that are, that are happening to our body throughout generations. So this kind of reductionism is abolished in, in contemporary era. So that there was a limit, but this is not that, that, that robotic limit that is induced to our systems. It, it brings me to this VUCA idea, VUCA V standing for volatility. Uh, U standing for uncertainty and C standing for complexity and A standing for ambiguity. Like with, by volatility, we mean that the changes in, in complicated systems are so much so rapid that, that they require some agility and adaptive capacity. We need to just, just, just adapt to sudden changes. Otherwise, the system is not going to be deemed as, as a complicated system. And also, uncertainty is, is pretty much important over here that uh, many elements, many parts 
you know, numerous parts of a system. They, they, they go through some co-evolution. Uh, so the more enabled you are to know the outcome, the better you can think. Now, this is, this is pretty much awesome, actually, to, 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 um, consider your inability in anticipating the outcome is, is the key feature to have a better understanding of a system. And complexity means, uh, just give up some central control and leadership because whenever you're studying physics, uh, I mean, in, 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 uh, in, in classical sense of that, you are, you have some goal, mainly what, what is the more a preliminary goal of goal of that is, is, is that we need to, we want to manipulate our, our, our environment by, by studying physics, by, by creating some tools. But in a complicated system, you, uh, you acknowledge the fact that you will not be able to manipulate the system because there is no central control and you're not supposed to control the system. And also we have ambiguity, which is the ability to be open to, uh, more than one interpretation. Now, this ambiguity brings me to what you just mentioned and you put it beautifully that, uh, we can, we can combine this, this kind of reductionism and, and, and the holistic views all together at the same time. And, and, and then it might be the fact that, that, you know, just it's sort of a conclusion that, that we need to arrive at at least these years or, or 21st century, maybe. What do you think about this? Um, and that is the thing. Um, I think in general, if you're going to talk about physics, we have some ideas that are fairly general. Uh, I mean, general relativity, the name is on it. <laughs> yeah. Everything is based on a whole system. So we are trying to define the whole universe and the fabric of space, time, all of this stuff, just with a theory, we say, yeah, this happens. When it comes to quantum, this is all uh, what I'm trying to arrive here about quantum mechanics, because general relativity about the, the, the philosophy of general relativity is simpler than quantum mechanics, because mm -hmm. it has happened before. Yeah. The, the time of Isaac Newton, we have Maxwell. Th this stuff has happened before, but when it comes to quantum mechanics, it was uh, the most unexpected theorem of all time. Just, it, it would like contract every kind of philosophy that mankind ever has like known about. So this is the thing about quantum mechanics here. And there's a reason that you need to be really careful with philosophy of quantum mechanics because uh, it's really hard to philosophize it because you haven't seen anything like it before. You mm -hmm. only have quantum mechanics that acts like quantum mechanics. But this is a thing that I believe in uh, uh, in case of reductionism. Like I believe that you need to meet a point that both of the ways are really important and really mm -hmm. crucial for science. Mm -hmm. But in case of reductionism, uh, what I'm trying to arrive in quantum mechanics is that when you have a system of quantum mechanics, when you are trying to define a system uh, with quantum mechanics, um, there is a limit for, redu uh, for reductionism. So there is a limit. And that, that limit, we call it actually quantum mechanics. That is the meaning of it. Mm -hmm. So this is the mo the thing that most physicists 
are hopeful with that, okay, you can't reduce anything more than that. So they are trying to define everything with quantum mechanics. So reduce it into that level, then voila, you have theory that explains everything in the universe. 